And so if young people, you know, are going to sort of marry their passion for these issues uh, and have that translate into um, a change in policy, they're going to have to come out to vote. And, and I think there's at least a signal that that's occurring. Voting. It's a basic right that all Americans 18 and older share, but mobilizing people to do so has always been a point of concern in most elections. However, in recent years, young people took to the polls at higher rates than ever before. Mail-in ballots are the new frontier, and many universities have their own polling locations on campus to grant easy access. And with midterms happening just last week, it should seem like an easy thing. But factors like identity and the lack of information act as barriers to the political process. Welcome to Offbeat by the Diamondback, a podcast about passion and power at the University of Maryland. I'm your host, Megan Barnes. For this episode, I wanted to see just how mobilized UMD students were to vote in the recent midterm elections. I also spoke with experts to gain insight on the brains of young voters and what universities can do to ensure student voices matter. Don't be afraid to stick around until the end to break down the current results of these tight races. The only way to ask UMD students why they voted was to take to the polls myself. There were two polling places on campus this year, one at Stamp and the other at Ritchie Coliseum. We asked various students why they voted and why they felt midterms were important. I'll let them take the lead. As a woman, you know, we haven't always had this right to vote, and I felt like I was doing a disservice to our ancestors by not voting, um, in a way. And also, it, you know, I feel like you can't really complain about things that are happening if you don't, you know, use your right to vote. I think as citizens, especially in Maryland, it's important for our voices to be recognized and voting for local um, lawmakers and also for the gubernatorial election in general. Um, I think everybody's voice matters and I mean the fate of the nation is in the people's decision so I want my voice to be heard. I think I've just been told throughout my life that it's important to participate in the democratic process and I think it's important for um, young people to show out to vote, uh, show that we need to be represented, show that we're worth um, catering to in terms of um, like candidates' uh, platforms. So I think that by coming out to vote, we're showing that we need to be heard and the issues that we care about, they should care about too. I think it's so important. I've like been texting my friends and like encouraging them because like I feel like a lot of people, especially like students, like a lot of us are, are out of state. So it's like knowing where you can vote and just like encouraging people and like every vote counts. And like, even though it seems like it doesn't, it's like, I feel like it's a part of like being an American citizen is like voting because like if you have an opinion you need to like voice that no matter what that is like you need to be like represented so. While some seemed well versed in all things politics others viewed things at a more surface level. I asked some students which was more important, midterm elections or the presidential election. Obviously the presidential election and stuff get more popular, just more popularity and media attention, but I feel like uh, the midterm election is also very, very important, just especially just because all the small issues and stuff are the local lawmakers and the local kind of executives and state centers that do actually make those possible. So I think they're both important, but I feel like midterm elections are more a bit more important for the, each individual person. I'd say midterms definitely aren't as, I guess, advertised as the general elections are Um, and a lot of times it just goes under the rug especially for college students minds like with midterms coming around the corner or you know just passing it's kind of like the last thing on a lot of people's minds Um, and it's something that you kind of have to dig for to get information on and to to find out details on how to do this. I'll be honest with you I do not know the difference between the two so I feel like that says enough about like 
how prominent it is, but um, I don't know. I, th- I think like as you get older, you start involving yourself in politics more and more. So I think it's just like a natural thing. Another student was mostly just along for the ride. She was going, so I followed her here. <laughs> she encouraged me. I would not have gone, or at least I wouldn't have prioritized it. I don't. I f- could follow it more, but I just don't. Like, do you feel it's not as important? As- no, I still think it's important. I just don't. Uh, don't prioritize it. Okay. As much as, like, a general presidential election? Yeah, like, I have friends like her that actually care about it, so I just follow their lead. But how can we explain this lack of knowledge or even the younger generation's newfound passion for the polls? I spoke with Dr. Stella Rouse, a government and politics professor at UMD who specializes in how identity informs political attitudes and representation. Yeah, I think historically, younger people have not been as engaged, uh, particularly in voting. I think young people are engaged in other forms of civic engagement and participation. Um, Things like protests and marches are are things that young people generally tend to gravitate toward, issue-based things like that. But in terms of voting, we've always seen a gap between older adults and, and younger adults in terms of turning out to vote. And that's amplified in midterm elections because obviously most of the population is really focused on the presidential elections um, when they vote. Now, I will say probably over the last two midterm elections that we have seen an increase in young people coming out to vote. And certainly this year, I think we don't have the numbers yet, but it looks like we're going to see record turnout for young people. And young people have really made a difference in this election um, is what the you know, I think what the exit polls are showing, the preliminary data. But I still think we have an information gap, even among college students, right? Uh, as you just mentioned, you talked to a student who didn't even know, <laughs> right, the difference between the two. And so, you know, I think oftentimes we forget that that even more educated people perhaps may not be educated when it com- comes to politics and voting and um, when elections are being held and what they're being held for and why they matter. But what can be done to mobilize young voters and keep them informed? This isn't a new idea, of course, and over the past few years, numerous nonprofits and organizations have been founded to combat the lack of young voters at the polls. My name is Jen Domigal-Goldman, and I am the executive director of the All-In Campus Democracy Challenge, which is a nonpartisan national initiative of Civic Nation that works to support more than 950 colleges and universities across the country as they work to improve civic learning, political engagement, and nonpartisan voter participation. UMD was actually the very first school to join this initiative back in 2016. President Darrell Pines even joined the group's presidential commitment to strive towards full student voter participation. Domigo Goldman told me that mobilizing students to vote tackles three key themes. So we talk about civic learning, political engagement, and then voter participation. Um, and so in that, we're really focusing on the both um, legal requirement and kind of the ethical and moral obligation that colleges and universities have to help their college students register um, students, eligible students to vote. Um, to educate them about how the process works and what their rights are and how to understand their ballots and the process, and then to be able to access polling places um, and also to um, show up and turn out um, at the ballot box, whether that means voting by mail or voting early or voting on campus or voting at home. Um, So really helping them um, help that. And, you know, at a campus like the University of Maryland, you have a huge proportion of students who come from 
within the state of Maryland. And But also in that class and on your campus and other campuses like you, you have a large number of students who aren't from the local area, aren't from that state, um, and need to follow different state and local rules about elections. Um, and usually folks on a given campus aren't experts about that. So part of what we bring to the table um, is the ability to share information and to share um, ways of engaging students who either um, you know, may choose to vote somewhere else and have different timelines and processes they need to follow um, and to really help um, students kind of show up. Domingo Goldman views voting as a sort of muscle that you have to exercise in order to continue the habit. So the earlier people vote, the more likely they are to keep doing so for any future elections. Dr. Rouse offers some insight as to why some college students fail to use this so-called democratic muscle in the first place. At the college level, I think one disconnect is often between students who um, are in the social sciences and, and sort of self-select themselves to be interested in, in politics and in voting versus perhaps students that are like in the hard sciences and STEM-based um, you know, fields that are, that are likely to be less engaged in the political system simply because their interests are not really tied to, to politics or policy or things like that. And so having a concerted effort in terms of reaching out to those students and informing them and educating about how important it is to be civically engaged, regardless of what field you're in, I think it's really important and something that that should, you know, should be more of a priority for any institution. But if we're talking about Maryland, I would say even for the University of Maryland to, to sort of prioritize those efforts to, to get civic education in, um, in the training that, that STEM and hard science students receive, because many of them um, you know, have had no reason to really be interested and don't feel like what they do really translates uh, into into politics. And, and so that shouldn't be discounted as being a citizen, regardless of what you do, whether you're an engineer or a computer scientist or whatever the case may be. It's still really important to participate in the process. But this isn't to say that UMD hasn't made any efforts to mobilize student voters. In fact, recent data shows otherwise. So we have, uh, we launched in 2020, a president's commitment to full student voter participation and your president um, signed that commitment. We know that campuses who signed that commitment um, in 2020 had an average of um, 5.7 percentage points higher student voter turnout than other campuses. For instance, in the last midterm election in 2018, the University of Maryland had an 85.3% registration rate, which is fantastic. You had a 30%. 36% turnout rate, which was up from 26.7% um, in 2014. Um, and then in 2020, you had a student voter registration rate of what I would argue is basically the same, was 84.7, um, and a student turnout rate of over 71%. As I scrolled through Twitter on election day, I saw numerous videos of college students lined up at the polls, with some of the lines even going around the corner. These students were waiting in line for over 90 minutes, a fact that I was at first really excited about. Students across the nation wanted to vote, and the fact that they were waiting in line for that long showed that they really cared. But this is a double-edged sword. They shouldn't have to wait in lines for two hours. You know what I mean? And, you know, and so how do we make sure that that doesn't happen? Does it mean one of those campuses needs two or three polling sites on campus instead of one? Does it mean that we need to do a better job of helping them understand there are other ways that they can vote? Um, are we seeing higher numbers in states who have in, implemented same-day voter registration, which we know helps decrease a barrier um, to young people and first-time voters voting? Because if they can register on that same day, that's great, but that can make the line take longer. 
right? Transportation can be a barrier. Having um, classes or work and not being able to get time off can be a barrier, right? Um, not having the right ID um, in specific states could be a barrier or the evidence of their address, you know, particularly around campuses. Every school that joins All In creates an action plan for the election cycle regarding those three key elements we mentioned earlier. They're all dependent on the needs of each campus, and All In has a primary contact, usually a faculty member, who acts as a liaison between the group and campus. But civic education should not only be restricted to college students. In fact, both Domingo Goldman and Dr. Rouse agreed on the fact that it needs to extend to the youngest potential voters. Efforts, direct efforts at civic education are really important. Like one thing that myself as a, as a political science professor and someone who believes in civic engagement, it's been disheartening to see that those types of classes at the high school level have been pretty much abandoned. And, um, you know, so stu students at a younger age aren't getting that civic education. And so returning that would be, I think, a priority or, or you know, being part of efforts to return that. We need to grow voters. Like, um, it's not just something that happens, you know, one day. And so it takes more than just the work of a single higher education institution to help do that, right? Like there are policies that need to be thought about and put in place. There's work that needs to be happening at the K-12 level. There are work, you know, there's work that peers can do to help um, engage their um, fellow students and other things. There are roles for faculty to play in terms of sharing reminders or pertinent information in a classroom. Um, you know, all of these different pieces come in to kind of create this broader framework. And until we kind of do all of those pieces, you know, we're never going to see the kind of full voter engagement that we really want to, we really want to see. And to say that the younger generation isn't engaged in politics would be a lie. They just have a different way of showing it. It's like, I think that that can come from either being really like cynical and like feeling like your voice doesn't matter um, and just like being uh, like kind of like jaded towards the democratic process, which I think, I don't know, I think I'd like push back against that because that I think just like compounds the problem. What my research has shown is that generally um, young people tend to engage differently than older people, not necessarily less. And Times the way that, that the media and pundits portray young people is looking at whether they vote at similar rates as older people. And then when they find that they don't, they, they say, well, they're not interested in politics. And that's not true, right? They're interested in a different form of participation, sort of an active form of participation rather than a duty-based form of participation. And so what I found in my work is that young people really are engaged, like I said, in protests, marches, boycotts, things that have a more direct effect because they you know, traditionally have been very sort of disheartened by institutions and what they can do and, and have believed that their vote baby does not, does not matter in terms of bringing about change. But what I would say is in the last, like I said, the last two midterm elections and the last presidential election that young people have come out at higher numbers. And it'll be interesting to see whether that trend continues um, this year, which I think it will, and into 2024. And so maybe by that time, we can actually say that young people are catching up in terms of their voting, you know, rates of voter turnout compared to older people, which would be a great sign because ultimately, you know, all that passion and effort that goes into, for example, marching for climate change or um, the Me Too movement that, you know, ultimately you need the right people in office to bring about policy change, right? That marches and things like that bring about a lot of attention, but not necessarily change in policy. And so if young people, you know, are going to sort of marry their passion for these issues uh, and have that translate into 
um, a change in policy, they're going to have to come out to vote. And, and I think there's at least a signal that that's occurring, um, a very promising signal. And we'll see if that if that holds up. So where exactly do these election results stand? The biggest surprise was a Senate race in Pennsylvania. John Fetterman defeated Dr. Mehmet Oz to flip a seat for Democrats, giving the party its first glimmer of hope. On top of this, Democrats officially maintained majority over the Senate after tight races in Arizona and Nevada were finally called over the weekend. This just leaves Georgia, where Democratic incumbent Raphael Warnick and Republican candidate Herschel Walker are facing a potential runoff election. Will Democrats have a 51 to 49 majority, or will both parties see an equal split? Let's shift to the House, where Republicans are expected to take control. In Virginia, Republican Jen Kiggins ousted sitting January 6th committee member Elaine Luria. On top of this, three-term Democratic Congressman Tom O'Halloran saw defeat by Republican businessman Eli Crane in Arizona. It wasn't a clean sweep, however, as Democratic candidates were able to flip seats in states like North Carolina, Texas, and Ohio. Shout out to Florida, who elected the first Gen Z candidate to Congress. Maxwell Frost will take his seat at just 25 years old with the hope of bringing young voices to the House floor. Finally, the governors. Maryland had a huge win with Democrat Wes Moore defeating Trump-endorsed candidate Dan Cox. He is the first Democratic governor since 2015 and only the third black governor to be elected in the United States, ever. In Texas, Beto O'Rourke lost to incumbent Republican Greg Abbott, this being his third election loss overall. In Arizona, Republican Carrie Lake was defeated by Democrat Katie Hobbs in a very close election for the state. Massachusetts and Oregon made history by electing the nation's first openly lesbian governors, Maura Healey and Tina Kotek. The election isn't over yet, as mail-in ballots continue to be counted and residents of Georgia might face another go at electing their senator. All we can do is wait and keep a close eye on the polls. I know I will. Thanks for listening to Offbeat. I'm your host, Megan Barnes. This episode is brought to you with the help of our editor, Julia Bischoff, our assistant editor, Grace Capetemi, and our reporter, Fatima Yazdi. Our music this month is by Alexander Nakarada. Follow Offbeat on Twitter at DBK Offbeat and follow the Diamondback on Twitter and Instagram at the DBK. You can find a transcript of this episode at dbknews.com. And if you like this episode, tell your friends and tune in next time.